0: Tēnā koutou, mai, Hide mai. Welcome to Q&A, I'm Jack Tain. This morning in Waitākere, managed retreat moves from theory into practice.
1: I want to be able to sleep at nights. I want to be able to, I want my life back. I want to be able to stop looking at the rain radar every second day.
0: Then, ex Party leader David Seymour with his pitch for the cyclone recovery and how to distinguish beneficial natural products from crackpot Looney Tunes quick buck quackery. But there
2: are others who are utilising what would be considered a natural health product, selling it as snake oil and it's not, not achieving.
0: We'll have that story shortly, but first, five weeks since the rainfall that drowned parts of our biggest city, Managed Retreat is about to play out in the real world. Terms of reference have been released this week for the Recovery Task Force, which is set to advise a Cabinet committee on what to do for homes that it doesn't make sense to rebuild after this year's extreme weather events. Why is this process so important? Well, it looks possible that central government will step in and pay out some homeowners for part or all of the land value that won't be covered by insurance. And whatever the government ultimately decides could end up as a blueprint for New Zealand's managed retreat future. When the rain came to West Auckland, residents were left helpless and homeless as the floodwaters consumed their lives.
3: Careful, and huh? oh, careful, careful.
0: A month on. In many of the worst-hit streets, it just doesn't make sense to go back.
3: If you want to leave, who's going to want to buy this house? Well, that's that's the question. You know, that's the question we ask ourselves every day. You know, at, at, at my age, where do I go from here?
0: More than 130 homes in Waitakere are red or yellow stickered, and for residents who have been speaking to One News. The managed retreat issue is not theoretical or academic; it's real. You are yellow stickered. What is your insurance company wanting to do with this house?
1: Um, it seems like modus operandi where they just reinstate the house.
0: For residents like Ruth Copping, it's totally illogical to repair her house and move back if she's only going to get wiped out again by the next floods.
3: Do you want to move back in? Oh no.
1: Oh no. No. I want to get... I want to be able to sleep at nights. I want to be able to... I want my life back. I want to be able to... Stop looking at the rain radar every second day.
0: In many of these areas, residents have already tried repairing and rebuilding.
3: This is one of the ten neighbourhoods in this part of West Auckland that's had repeat flooding. Um, It's right next to the stream and and these guys, they've been hammered twice now.
0: Eighteen months ago, West Auckland flooded and the affected communities rebuilt.
3: But did we do anything after the last time, or do we just repair them? They'll um, they got, they'll tell you, but they got insurance claims, and they built back.
0: Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown says all reasonable engineering solutions have to be considered before managed retreat. That could mean new stop banks, stormwater options, or even lifting housing. I'm
3: here tonight to talk to you about the recovery from the floods
0: in the meantime, Te 2 MP Phil Twyford's encouraging residents to hold off spending any insurance payouts. If residents are ultimately compensated for unlivable land, he hopes that money can be combined with insurance payouts and the managed retreaters will build new lives. The Cyclone Recovery Minister said this week he hopes to have some certainty for affected homeowners within a month. One person keeping a close eye on the process is Climate Change Minister James Shaw, who is preparing legislation which covers long-term managed retreat. Kia ora, good morning. Kia ora, Jack. What should happen for people whose homes clearly shouldn't be rebuilt in the same place?
4: Jack, I think the most important thing uh, is that people have control over their own circumstances. This is something that Grant has said, is that we want to work with communities and that the response will be different in different locations because the risk Mm. profile is different in those locations. But clearly there is a role for central government. There is also a role for local government, particularly uh, in areas where, frankly, they're planning rules have let everyone down, Mm. uh, and also for the banks and for the insurance companies, and that's something that we're working on at the moment.
0: Okay, let's talk about Auckland, first of all. So
4: the Auckland Council's Mm. $300 $300 million in the hole. Mm. They're not going to be paying for this, are they? Well, I do think we do need to take a look at the role that uh, local government has, um, especially in places where... Frankly, uh, the data did exist about where was a good place mm. to build and where was a dumb place to build. Um, but, n- you know, nevertheless, uh, you know, there is a, there is a role for uh, local government, um, particularly because we're going to have to relocate some people within mm. the boundaries of that local authority. So Grant Robertson says he
0: wants to have this sort of within a month, but, but what should that equation look like? If it's decided that some homeowners absolutely should not rebuild in the same place, mm. who
4: pays? Well again, there's there's going to be a balance of of, of risk. And and what's your position? What do you think is the inappropriate balance? Well, again, we haven't made any final decisions on that, um, but those conversations are definitely occurring, and they're definitely occurring not just within government, but also between government, Uh, and you mentioned the special task force led by Mm. Brian Roach, and the banks, who have an incentive not to rebuild in highly vulnerable places, the insurance companies and local uh, local government as well.
0: I want to understand the political process, because you were advocating quite early in Space after the floods in Auckland, and then after Cyclone Gabrielle. Mm. But you are not part of the task force. You are not part of the cabinet committee that will decide
4: this. Why? Uh, well, the answer to that is kind of above my pay grade, Jack. But I, I am trying to be helpful Should you where be? I can. Well, I, you know, I think uh, what I am doing uh, is trying to make sure that um, the people who are on that cabinet committee have mm. got the best information available to us that the thinking that we have been doing around managed retreat and other options over mm. the course of the last few years is uh, fed in, into the system and that you know examples from around the world where people did move very very quickly and have uh, succeeded in providing useful solutions that people have those mm. uh, um, kind of examples in front of them as well. What does it say that our climate change minister
0: who is responsible for the longer-term questions around managed retreat, responsible for the legislation that will decide that, is not involved in the short-term managed retreat
4: buyout options for the biggest climate event of our time? Well, Jack, managed retreat is something that occurs, or should occur, before disaster strikes rather than in the immediate aftermath. But there are things that we can do in the immediate post-disaster recovery phase that will help us to build back homes and communities stronger and more resilient mm. than they were before. And in some cases, that does mean relocating. Right. But ultimately, you know, that's that's the process that we're going that, that through. That doesn't at the answer moment. my question though.
0: What, what does it say that you, given your involvement
4: with the long-term managed retreat options, what does it say that you're not involved in this process? Well, I am involved. Jack. not I mean, in any formal sense though well in the in the sense that I am one of the ministers who's working you know to provide uh, the people on that committee and you know grant has the recovery minister um, where there' as good information mm. and, and good options as he, he can use you've I offered some recommendations to the Prime Minister as well. Mm. What did you tell Chris Hipkins? Uh, well, th- that there are things that we can do in the very near future um, that can assist. And I, I, I want to stress, sometimes that involves relocating, but actually mm. not in every case. And that's mm. why it is so important that we work with individual homeowners and with communities to determine what the best solution is for each location and to really empower them to be making those, those decisions. Uh, But also if we fail to make those decisions within a matter of weeks, then we will ultimately leave people in a position where they do have to rebuild to the same standard Mm. as before, in the same location as before, and that actually increases vulnerability, not just in terms of the value of that property and so on and so forth, but Mm. actually also in terms of placing their families at risk, because these events will occur again in the future. And of course, what that means is if you rebuild in the same place to the same standard, that you're actually placing lives at Mm. risk, and we cannot afford that. How um, instructive will the response to this event
0: be in developing your longer-term managed retreat plan? Uh,
4: Well, I mean... Ideally, it would be very instructive. Um, First of all, we want to make sure that the decisions that we make around how we assist people who have been affected here in uh, Auckland Mm. or in Northland uh, or in the Hawke's Bay after Cyclone Gabrielle, that um, at the very least that points in the direction of what a permanent set of solutions to these kinds of challenges will look like, Mm. because at the moment we have had an ad hoc response. Mm. Generally what that means is that the bill ends up at the foot of uh, central government, and given that these events are getting more frequent, more severe, and the cleanup costs mm. and the recovery are therefore more expensive, that is completely fiscally unsustainable. As a matter of principle, should the government compensate people who don't have insurance but whose homes
0: have been destroyed?
4: Uh, obviously, you need to take a hardship approach here to say that there are people who are in extreme circumstances. And one of the reasons, of course, that mm. you know people are uninsured is because they didn't have enough income to pay the insurance in the first place. So it wasn't a matter of choice for most people not but, to be insured. Well they own a home. Well, well it, some people have had content, or should have had contents insurance, mm. for example. Um, but, you know, if, if someone was... Um, You know, if if someone is in an extreme hardship situation, then obviously uh, we need to support those people through that. So,
0: to be clear, should, should people who don't have insurance be compensated for their land value by the government?
4: No, I'm, what I'm saying is that we need to take a hardship approach. So if people are in a state of hardship, we have a responsibility to each other to right. support people through that. If people have uh, you know, if they own assets that they have chosen not to insure right. but they've got the means, then I wouldn't say that there is a good reason to uh, to do that. Okay. Because then ultimately what that means is that the government is actually the insurer of everybody and that removes the need for the Absolutely. insurance markets yeah, themselves. Sure, but
0: I mean insurance is only going to cover the rebuild, it's not going to cover the cost of the land at the moment, at least under the, the traditional insurance saying. model. Yeah. So I want to know yeah. if, when it comes to these extreme weather events, people who don't have insurance should be compensated by central government for the
4: value of their land. Well, the question isn't around compensation. What we're looking at is, house, is, is to say, well... You know, if you're in that situation where, at the very least, you do want to move because you do know yeah. that, you, that you're living in a high-risk zone, and there is a gap between, for example, your total rebuild insurance, then what are the interventions that we can make that can assist you to get out? That's I understand that. That's yeah. not
0: the question I'm asking, though. Yeah. Uh, my, my question is, for people who have absolutely no insurance for, for, their, for, their, for their property or for their contents, should they still be compensated?
4: For the value of their land if it doesn't make sense to rebuild them um, no i'm just saying that uh, you need to take a hardship approach right. for people who have if if you know if, if the people poor. are in those uh, are in those circumstances right. then that is the orientation um that cabinet has already has already yeah. said that we're going to take a hardship approach to this but we're not going to compensate every loss right and that's you know it's not reasonable to expect central government to do that how should we pay for this well Personally, uh, when I saw um, the National Party's announcement that we should pay for it through debt, I thought that that is completely fiscally unsustainable. Uh, It's also morally reprehensible. Two reasons. If you put new money into the economy, which is what you are doing when you increase debt and put that money into the economy, at a time when the Reserve Bank is desperately trying to take money out of the economy, Mm. paying for it through debt will mean an increase in interest rates. So that will mean everybody who's currently paying a mortgage or relies on uh, debt to finance their business, their interest rates will go up because of that. The other thing, of course, is that it kicks the can down the road and it means that future generations, again, are paying for uh, the clean-up costs for this. It's unsustainable fiscally because you know that this is going to take years and years and right. years to pay off and there'll be other disasters. I mean, the National Party would say that it wouldn't necessarily be inflationary because they would be looking to cut
0: other spending
4: in different areas. But how would the Green Party uh, Well, at the moment, there are a number of businesses that are doing extremely well because of circumstances that have you know, got nothing to do with them. So because of increases in interest rates and because of the uh, excess capital that was in the economy um, through COVID, uh, you do see excess profits occurring mm. in some parts of the economy. Um, one way to, um, to help to pay for it right now would be to do what the UK Conservative Party did many years ago and to have an excess profits tax. That means that you do have this generation paying for it and you don't have a blunt instrument that forces homeowners to pay more to pay for uh, to pay for it. it means that those who can contribute Will be paying for it. It means that you're actually um, not having that inflationary impact that that new debt would have on the economy. All right, stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. James Shaw is back after the break.
0: Hawkey Meyer, welcome back to QA. On Friday, climate change protesters gathered in New Zealand cities for the first time since this year's extreme weather events. Most of their demands have traditionally focused on climate change mitigation, and I asked them how the rain and the cyclone have affected their campaign. Some have been protesting for years.
5: It's not climate change, it's climate crisis. And there is so little time left.
0: But for others, Friday was a first.
5: That's our first climate uh, protest. We've never been before. But we just felt like we've got to do something.
0: Motivated by the storms and the floodwaters, They gathered for what has sometimes seemed like an exercise in futility.
5: I really hope that these recent events have just brought to light that climate change is happening now. It's not something that's in our future, it's happening to us now and we need to do things to adapt to it and to mitigate the effects of it now in order to see a better future. We'd actually um, been watching in horror the floods in Australia in the last couple of years and returned from there because we were so concerned about climate over there. and and then got hit with it here. I
1: think for me personally, it makes me angry. It makes me want change now and I want people to take it more seriously.
0: In the debate over mitigation and adaptation, most of this crowd's policy demands have focused on reducing emissions. Is it enough to make people care about reducing emissions?
5: It depends on the naivety of the person that is taking in the information. Um, the reality of it is that it's going to take, for some people it'll take until their $5 million, $10 million house slips down a landslide for them to actually maybe even make any acknowledgement of climate change.
0: Why do you say you're not optimistic?
5: We've been going at this for 50 bloody years. But
0: is this a turning point? Will the storms make 2023 a climate change election?
5: It's our younger generations that are standing up and fighting because they're seeing the reality of it and whether or not their parents are in agreement or not, they're still marching the streets without them um, And because that's their future, you know. Even someone like me at the age of 27, you know, like I might just make the cut without this like potentially taking my life but these guys are like, whoa, if I actually want to do the career that I want to do then we need to say something, we need to stand up and they are, they're standing up.
0: Do you feel like climate change could kill you?
5: 100%. Yeah, I mean, my family is from Middleway Beach and where the landslides have been. My dad lost one of his best mates, Dave, in the landslide recently. He was the firefighter out of Middleway. He died by climate change. The track of the cyclone and the recent flooding is caused by climate change. And if people are wanting to deny that, that you know, there's, I don't know how to persuade them.
0: All right, we're back with James Shaw. What have you made of the conversation around climate change mitigation, i.e. emissions reduction and adaptation since these weather events?
4: We have to do both. You know, um, I know that there are some people who are saying, you know, we've kind of lost on reducing pollution, so let's switch all of our efforts and resources into mm. just adapting to the effects. But the analogy that I use is it's kind of like saying well, I'm going to focus all my efforts on bailing out my house, but I'm not going to fix the hole in the roof. And what that means is that you're always bailing water and that you know, if you're just to think in economic terms, that's just going to get very expensive. We haven't really done anything on emissions reductions, have we? We're getting there. Um, but it's been we a slow... Well, yeah, no, we have had it we've had, No, we've been very, very slow, Jack. We've been very slow to, to get started and other countries have been moving much more aggressively what than we have. What responsibility do you take for that? Well, the way that I think about it is I'm trying to do the best I can with the governments that I've been given. Um, but given that this is an election year, Mm. uh, one thing that I would say is that if people want me to do more and to go further and to go faster, then I need more Green MPs and I need more Green Ministers sitting around a Cabinet table because Mm. that is how you influence the political system in this country. You spoke passionately and memorably in Parliament in the days after these
0: extreme weather events, but to some people it seemed a bit rich and... uh, there are some prominent examples when it comes to emissions reductions in New Zealand, I want mm. to raise. So our largest emitting industry still isn't paying a cent for its emissions. The government has extended and extended and re-extended the petrol excise tax yeah. cut. In the last three years, the public service has bought more than 1,000 petrol and diesel cars. And for the last five and a half years... You have been the climate change minister.
4: And you think I'm happy about any of those things? So I. Mean, on, on, on the you, you have options, though. I mean, you, you, your option isn't just to sit there. That isn't the only thing you can I do. I don't just sit there, Jack. And if you think that resigning is going to cause more change than continuing to battle it out... The way that I see it is it is a reason to double down, not to give up. Resigning what is it, saying what has that, that, that you achieved? What has that achieved so far? Look, Jack, uh, look, while we, you know, there are, but, I, this I mean, is honestly, very,
0: very frustrating. I, I, I understand yeah. it must be incredibly frustrating, yeah. but at some point you must, reach, you must reach a threshold where you say, you know what, for all the rhetoric, all the talk, it is just hot air, and actually these people,
4: I, you know, my, my, my personal values extend beyond what this government says. Jack, I done. am never going to give up. This, it's too important. And you have to take, you know, the, yes, there are losses. There are wins also. You know, I could also say we've had the most successful um, adoption rate of EVs in just about any country in the OECD. 18 months ago, our, it was like something like 5% of new cars sold. Last December, it was 30%. Norway took five years to, to, to get that adoption What has happened to our emissions profile rate. in the five and a half years you have been climate change? Well, it's state. been roughly the same. Um, there was a bit of a dip, but that was largely because of COVID. And I know... And I have said before, and I still hold myself to this, that the measure of success for any government has to be whether emissions come down. And I stand by that. But everything that we have done and suggests so, that we've So, so that, by that, that the, measure that of success, curve. what have you achieved? Well, we have started the process by which our emissions will come down year after year. But this year is the thing. We have, we've created frameworks
0: for future governments to have to make tough decisions. You talked to me before the break about kicking the can down the
4: road. That is yes. essentially what the governments that you have been a part of have done. In part, they have, and I'm, I'm not happy mm. about that, right? And, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm the first to say that we need to pick up the pace and that we need to go further. But like I said, I think I am doing the best job I can with mm. the governments that I have been given by the voters of this country, and if they want more action on climate change, the solution to that is not to exit stage left. The, the solution to that is to double down. Have you
0: ever considered resigning as climate minister?
4: Uh... There are days, Jack, uh, when you wonder whether it's worth it, but ultimately when? G- Give f- me an example. When was the point that you became that. closest?
0: No, 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 I mean, I mean, but it, I, I really do think, given the nature of the events this year, it is a worthwhile question, and our emissions profile the, over the last few years, it's a fair question to ask, at what point have you come the closest to saying, it's, it's, actually, my colleagues in this government aren't prepared to do it? Don't,
4: I don't have a, a kind of a particular moment, Jack, but my, my point is, is that... It is that we cannot give up on this. We absolutely cannot give up on this. I am not intending to give up on this. Mm. If anything, the events of the last few months have told me that I need to stick it out, that we all Mm. need to stick it out, and that we need to redouble our efforts. Six years ago, Jacinda Ardern said she would tackle climate change
0: as her generation's nuclear-free moment. Mm. As Prime Minister, did she live up to that promise?
4: In the five years of our government, we have done more... Uh, on climate change than the combined efforts of the last 30. But, as I've said a number of times, is it enough? No. We need to do much more, we need to go faster, uh, and we really do need to pick up the pace. That is a careful answer, but it's not an answer to the question I asked. Did Jacinda Ardern live up to her promise and treat climate change as the nuclear-free issue of her generation. It was one of the two most important things. It was that and child poverty. Uh, And I do think that she um, put a huge amount of effort into both of those things. Ultimately, I also think uh, that the government uh, did not do everything within its power uh, on either of those two challenges, and that is why I belong to a different political party. That is why I'm continuing to do the work that I'm doing. That is why I'm asking voters to give me a stronger uh, hand come this year's uh, general election. I'll ask it one more time. Did she live up to that promise, she as Prime Minister? Jack, I think that that is for the people of New Zealand to decide. I, what I'm saying is I can take responsibility for my part uh, over the course of the last five years. I'm very proud of the work that we've done as part of this government, but I also know that there have been frustrations and setbacks and I want to make sure that over the course of the next term of Parliament that we do go much faster than we have in the past. I'm going to end on a very, very upbeat note. (laughs) I just wanted to play you a clip from the founder
0: of the Green Party in the UK who said this week that he thinks the battle for the environment has
3: been lost. Have a listen to this. We have failed in dealing with the battle for environmental survival. And I'm afraid that I have become somewhat of a doomsayer and it's too late. The battle for... Uh, the world's environmental survival is, at this moment, lost. What do you make of that?
4: Uh, look, you can't give up hope. Uh, we depend entirely on our natural environment for our continued survival as a species and a civilization. And everything that we do can create hope. So I just think we've just got to keep fighting for it. And, like I said before, we've got to double down, not give up. When are we expecting to see the climate uh, the, the managed
0: retreat adaptation stuff actually be tabled in Parliament?
4: The, uh, the bill will come into the House before the, uh, before the election, but you will see, um, as Grant said, over the course of the next few weeks, some interventions post disaster that will point in the direction of that, of that piece of legislation. All right. Thank you very much for your time this morning. Climate Change Minister James Shaw.
0: If you want to contact the QA team, please call it or my. These are our main platforms. You can email us, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook. Coming up, the hullabaloo over Rob Campbell's public sacking may have drowned out one of his central accusations. We ask if the government is backing away from co-governance in health. Kjelda, welcome back. The Act Party has pitched a new funding method for the extreme weather rebuild as part of its 15 point recovery plan. Party leader David Seymour is with us
6: for the first time in 2023. Kjelda, good morning. Good morning. How should we pay for the damage? Well, there's three basic options. One is tax people more and harder. Uh, Two is borrow and tax tomorrow's taxpayers. And three is to look really hard at the government's books and reduce expenditure. And that's what people are already having to do in a cost-of-living crisis. If they have their tyres fail a warrant, they've got to save for a couple of weeks until they balance their budget again. Uh, That's the situation that the government's in. Uh, In our plan, we've produced 15 ideas, but they start with the idea that we cannot afford to have another borrow and spend disaster recovery. We did that after COVID. Uh, we're now seeing the inflation. Act's uh, alternative budget released last May uh, shows how it's possible for the government to reduce expenditure by $6.8 billion this year, $9.5 billion next year, And that is without touching any frontline health, education or police. That is, for example, uh, reducing the number of public servants in Wellington back Mm. to 2017 levels. Uh, That would save you $900 million straight away.
0: Okay, you've got a 15-point plan. We don't have time to go through all 15 (laughs) points, but I do want to pick up on a couple of them. It's always good to have policy. So you've called for suspending fair pay agreements Mm. and minimum wage increases for three years within Hawke's Bay and Tairawhiti
6: in a special economic zone. How would that special economic zone work? Well, look, I think parties you know, need to point out when the government is wrong, but also have fresh new ideas for what it could be doing right. So the special economic zone, and you give two examples of 15 uh, things that could be done, right now a lot of people are facing a lot of reform from the government. In fact Chris Hipkins himself has said that the government's been trying to go too fast. So we say three waters, we think it's a bad idea anyway but it should stop so councils can focus on their infrastructure. Right. but yeah. the special economic zone, how would that work? Yeah. So in the two areas of Tairawhiri and Hawke's Bay, uh, a range of current red tape and regulation would be suspended for the time being so people can get on with it. So we're talking about the Resource Management Act, we're talking about Fair Pay Agreement, we're talking about the continued increases in the minimum wage that have put a lot of pressure on Mm. businesses. So I'll give you an example of an orchard. Um, you know, they're going to have to plough their trees into the ground, Mm. and they're going to take four years before the trees bear fruit again. Mm. It's already touch and go if they'll be able to afford to do that. But if the current minimum wage increase rate were carried on for the next three years, then by the time they get any fruit, they're up to 26 bucks an hour. Uh, They just won't be able to do it. Mm. So it's all about government getting out of the way, listening to local people, and empowering locals to rebuild uh, what they had in a smarter way this time. So
0: if I'm a worker, why would I go and
6: Work there. So, right, I don't yeah. have fair pay, fair pay agreements.
0: I don't have uh, the minimum wage that I'm going to receive in other regions around New Zealand. We already know that there's a significant housing shortage.
6: How's that going to work? Well, what you've got to remember is that the minimum wage is not setting the wages for New Zealand. Yeah. Wages are still set by agreements between employers and employees. What we're saying is that we should remove. But, but why else stream?
0: would you? Yeah. Why would you remove that barrier if you weren't allowing some employers to pay a lower rate than the minimum wage in other parts of New Zealand? We'll
6: put it this way: um, maybe you're right, and no one's going to work in Hawke's Bay for less than 26 bucks an hour. That's okay. We but, but leave. But wh- why would a worker yeah. be incentivised?
0: Yeah. I know you think a lot yeah. about incentives. What would yeah. be the incentive if I was a worker to go to a mm. region that doesn't have as good protections mm. and has a lower minimum
6: wage? Mm. Put it the other way: maybe people want to do it anyway, and maybe they won't go because there's too much bureaucracy and the minimum wage is too high for jobs to be offered in the first place. So, if I'm right about that, leaving the minimum wage low, getting fair pay agreements off the table for the foreseeable future, that will help people do uh, the work they need to rebuild. Uh, now, of course, you know if, if you're if you're wrong and you put those mm. restrictions in place and people don't go, you're adding costs to the rebuild. And remember, the more the rebuild costs, the more resources it drags in, the more government borrowing, the more more money sloshing mm. around in the economy, the more inflation that's going to put pressure on the cost of living, not just in Hawke's Bay and Tairawhiti, but actually for New Zealanders up Everywhere. and down the country who are under huge pressure to meet their bills each week already as it is.
0: So you've called for quote a replacement of council building consent processes with private insurance so that mm. people don't need to wait for council consents. If an insurer is prepared to insure the building, mm. you know that insurance contracts only last
6: a year. Mm. Well, that's that's the way it works right now. But what we've proposed for a very long time is that instead of having council consents, you have to have mandatory insurance on new builds. That way, an insurance company is working out, well, you know, maybe this risk's worth it, maybe it's not. And I think it's become a more relevant policy after these disasters, mm. because what we've seen is that Often councils haven't made the right calculation. What's more, if we start having councils or central government bailing people out, the only way they're going to respond is the same way they responded after leaky Buildings. They will put more stringent bureaucracy and requirements mm. on people who want to build because they're on the hook. Uh, if we make it a regulation that you have to have private insurance, a private insurer has an incentive to weigh up the costs and benefits in a way that councils don't. But, a pri- but mm. y- you can't mandate that they offer insurance for longer than a year, though, can you? well, they, if they want to participate in this scheme, that's what they'd be required to do.
0: Right, so, so. any any new insurance that you would mandate here mm. in this space for any new build, mm. you would say, right, that you have to offer insurance for more than a one-year contract.
6: Yeah, that's right. And I think you'll find that there are actually insurers that want to meet that market. We've been mm. developing this policy over about six years, and we've had numerous discussions over that time. Mm. Uh, and the question is this. Do you want another expansion of bureaucracy? You know, Do you want more people asking, is Aotearoa the land of the long red tape? Do you want it to be more expensive to build? Do you want to lock a generation mm. out of home ownership the way that they currently feel? Um, or do you want to start using fresh and practical ideas to try and make sure that people can solve the problems they have, rebuild their homes, their families Mm. and their businesses uh, without getting beaten down by more big government.
0: I want to ask you a question I asked James Shaw regarding people whose whose homes have been destroyed by the weather events Mm. of this year and don't have insurance. Of course insurance generally covers the cost of rebuilding a property Mm. but it doesn't cover cover the land value. Mm. Should people who don't have insurance be bailed out for
6: their land value if it doesn't make sense to rebuild. Well if the government is going to bail people out for their land value then yes I I think the the land is not insured in either instance so that's not really the differentiator Uh, on the other hand the question is should the government be bailing people out for the land and you know if you focus on Mm. those people who are very hard up and your heart goes out to them and I've visited some of them Mm. then it's easy to say yes absolutely but you've also got to think about all New Zealanders in the long term Mm. if there's an expectation that the government has to buy your land because it's guilty of not stopping you building Mm. i tell you what the government's going to do it's going to get really zealous about stopping people building and again i think about the long-term problem of young new zealanders not seeing uh, a ladder of opportunity into Mm. a property owning democracy where they have a stake in this country these decisions we make now are going to make that problem even harder if we get it wrong has the cyclone and flooding event been a wake-up call for you not at all. Uh, it's actually vindicated things that ACT has been saying for a long time. Number one, uh, New Zealand's mm. obsession with emissions reduction, which has been based on on really just corporate welfare. I mean, they've got a four and a half billion climate emergency response fund mm. uh, that's been going on things like emissions transport fund, freight decarbonisation grants, fifteen million, renewable energy and public and Maori housing, thirteen million, mm. banning oil and gas, subsidising people to plant pine trees all over the East Coast, which hasn't turned out so well, unfortunately. You know, what, let what let the me ask about vindication. Yeah. Mm. Uh,
0: in 2016, you said, I believe climate change is real and a portion of it is man-made, mm. but I question the extent to which it's dangerous. Mm. Do you think you've been vindicated on that comment?
6: Yeah, I do, because when I go and visit places like an orchard I was at in mm. Napier uh, just this weekend or just this Thursday, um, what they showed me is that on the other side of mm. the Tutai River... Mm. Uh, w- uh, in Taradale, mm. the stock banks had been recently strengthened and they mm. were fine. On their side, the stock banks were made from gravel uh, and, funnily enough, the water washed the gravel away. So you don't uh, think they are dangerous? Devastated. Uh, I think it's dangerous. The, uh, in 2016, y- you, is, the, as the party extent, leaders... the, the extent to which it's dangerous, absolutely. You still question and the extent to which it's and, dangerous? Yeah, I do, because all of these things are a balance. And I would say, but you know, looking back... W- at What your, about
0: those firefighters you know, in Muriwai?
6: We're well, looking back at your... Well, first of all, let's just ask, what is the I mean, cause? would they
0: question the extent to which it's dangerous?
6: Well, I'm sure that they would... Oh, first of all, let's just... Yeah. You know, acknowledged their passing and their sacrifice. But I mean you, but you've played down the mm, danger of climate change mm, in, in, in a public well, leadership yeah, position. Yeah absolutely because the question is what's the extent of the danger of anything uh, it's not a case of this is our faith, this is our belief. Pretty, pretty significant we Any and all measures are mm. suitable. Uh, I'm interested in digging into the detail and getting practical so i give you that example of Tutaukuri River uh, in, in Napier. Which had what,
0: an inappropriate stock
6: bank yep. as you said. So, okay, I, so I, 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 I want to ask you more about I, this I, th- I, Well, let me give you another example. No, no, let me give you an example.
0: Um, We've been through the archives, and I've got to say, it is remarkably easy to find explicit examples Mm. of your party
6: disputing or downplaying climate Mm. change. Do you accept that the ACT Mm. Party has contributed to climate change denial? No. What we've done is we've contributed to climate change understanding. So so when when Rodney Hyde, as party Mm. leader, said the entire climate change and global warming hypothesis Mm. is a hoax, Mm. How did and what, he contribute what, what, to the understanding? What year, what year was that? Uh, 2008. OK, well, I was living in a separate country back then.
5: But, but he, he was your party
0: mm. leader, and yeah. I just asked if you if yeah. you accept that the ACT Party has contributed mm. to climate change denial. Yeah,
6: well, I, I disagree with that statement, but I also point out that it's, what, 15 years ago, um, if I'm going to be held to the standard what, of what each party said in 2008, well, we, we well, could play okay,
0: that what game What about all day. the ACT Party policy mm. that was on your website until 2016? Mm. Quote, New Zealand is not warming. If it were to warm moderately, we would mm. likely benefit in terms of land-based production, mm. human health and reduced heating bills. Mm. Arguments that we'd lose from sea level rise or more
6: extreme events are unproven conjectures. Mm. Well, I actually disagree with that statement. Oh, it was I on your party's that, website. Well, I believe, again, how many years ago, but I believe that... 2016, yeah, until I, 2016. I, I believe that New Zealand is Were you warming. party leader then? I'm not. A, I wasn't aware of that statement. I don't know exactly what you're it referring was a, it to. It was actually a. a, it's, it's, a, a, a certainly, poli- it's certainly not a statement I've made. It was a policy but, paper on your on your mm, website until 2016. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know who maintained that website mm. at that time. That's another question. But can we talk about what I'm telling you today? Uh, which is that actually if you want to judge me by the statements that I've made and what I've said uh, then actually I think well, we've well you said climate change isn't spirit. dangerous that's what that's what you said no former party that's what J- you said J- J- uh, you said you questioned the extent to which it was yeah. dangerous and yeah and I think that's healthy
0: okay uh, yeah. your former party leader said yeah. the entire climate change and global warming hypothesis is a hoax 15 and, years ago and the, yeah. and the policy paper on your website yeah. until 2016 said New Zealand yeah. is not warming so I'm going to go back to my question yeah. do you accept? The ACT Party has contributed to climate change denial Mm. and inaction.
6: Uh, No, I don't. Again, you you want to play this game of digging up 15-year-old statements. Uh, I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in is what can New Zealand do practically now? What fresh new ideas do we need Mm. to solve this problem? I believe that ACT has the most Mm. robust and sensible climate policy on any party in New Zealand today, and that is that we cap our emissions under Mm. the emissions trading scheme in line with our trading partners Mm. we adopt the same policy as the people we do business with around the world then we put our efforts into climate change adaptation Mm. again an idea in this paper that we've championed for a long time is sharing more money um, with the councils that need to do the reconstruction
0: there's no doubt your party has presented lots of ideas Mm. my question is How does your party have any credibility on anything when it comes
6: to climate change policy, given years of denial and inaction? Well, if you actually look at what I've said and what I believe, uh, then the credibility is very strong. If you want to dig up something on the Wayback Machine from a website a long time ago, then you can play that game. I don't well, think that well, helps the truth Jack. is, if, if, if did, we'd actually yeah. acted more mm. then, if we'd taken mm. it seriously then, mm. and taken greater steps, mm.
0: we might not be in the position mm. we find ourselves and if, today. And if
6: you follow the policies that I have advocated, uh, then we'd be in a much better space. And I think what you should be doing is asking, how is it credible that we have a Green Party who have had the climate change portfolio for mm. five years, that are focused overwhelmingly on attempting emission reduction policies mm. that haven't actually reduced emissions. Meanwhile, the rest of the world has continued emitting for the simple reason that you've got billions of impoverished people who will burn coal mm. to avoid their children being malnourished. You know, I can understand that. So the question is for New Zealanders, how do we practically contribute? Mm. And the example I would have liked to have given you before you went on your way-back-machine tirade into history is Mm. I've just surveyed people in the Epsom electorate. Mm. Hundreds of people are writing about flooding that happened in their street. Mm. Half of them had had previous drainage issues. A third of them had actually made a complaint to the council. Mm. So if you dig into it and get practical... Sure, sure. you're saying that 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 adaptation makes sense and 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 that
0: too much of the focus has been on mitigation. I I would look back and say, actually, mm. there are... There are just myriad
6: examples where your party has contributed to downplaying
0: yeah. the issue in a mitigation yeah. and adaptation yeah. Yeah. sense. And,
6: and look, you want to live in the past, but I'm here in the present, having dug well, if into only, the issues. Well, if yeah. only you'd been in the present and the past, <laughs> am I right?
0: If only you'd been so future-focused well, a few I, years well, ago.
6: Well, actually, I always have been. Mm. Um, you know, you're know, you digging up something that was on a website, what, seven years ago. Uh, now, what I, would <laughs> say, what I would say to you yeah. is that if the... Green Party and the current government Mm. were governing for New Zealanders, not handing out corporate welfare um, to people for various emission reduction schemes Mm. that haven't worked. Uh, They would have been focused on the kind of practical adaptation focus that we have. The Green Party has failed in the most profound way. They are no longer radicals outside Mm. the tent throwing in truth bombs. They have been in the tent for a long time, and the truth is that they've made a major strategic error by focusing on ineffective emission reduction when ACT has a far more effective Mm. policy there today, And they've failed to focus on adaptation because of that $4.5 billion in the Climate Emergency Response Fund. In last year's budget, none of it went to an adaptation measure. That is the true failing, and that is why ACT has been vindicated as the credible party on climate change. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. ACT Party leader David Seymour.
0: After the break, should consumers be free to buy natural remedies or protected for their own good? Hoki Maher, welcome back. Submissions closed tonight on one of the more controversial bills before Parliament. The Therapeutic Products Bill seeks to regulate the manufacturing, testing, promotion, import and export of therapeutic products. But it faces massive resistance. Here's Fena Owen.
7: Therapeutic claims made by natural health products and pharmaceuticals will soon be scrutinised by a regulator if this bill goes through. Many working in natural medicine, from vitamin manufacturers to boutique producers, to Rongua, Māori, fear the devil is in the detail. If this gets past the stage it's at now, all hell will break loose.
8: If it's passed in its current form, it could be quite disastrous.
7: Morning Minister. So why do we need this bill? Penny Henare is Associate Health Minister.
2: So the rationale behind the bill for the first part is to update the old Medicines Act and that's to bring into alignment in the bill new medicines since the early 1980s that haven't been included in the bill.
7: Many of those new medicines come under the category of natural health products, a booming sector with 20,000 products on the market. Samantha Gray is with the industry group representing those producers.
5: So we are a rising star of the New Zealand economy. We contribute $2.3 billion, uh, per annum to, to our GDP.
7: But the bill, she fears, may change
1: all that.
5: There are some good things in the bill for, for the industry, but there's also
1: too much red tape that's going to put in place too many costs and constraints on New Zealand businesses um, with, with, with no benefit.
7: The bill requires a new regulator to assess products for safety and efficacy. Producers will be charged fees for those assessments along with fees for permits and licences.
8: PharmaMZ is a New Zealand family owned business and we're a pharmaceutical contract manufacturing business.
7: Hamilton-based manufacturer Peter Lurk is in the natural supplements business. He opposes the bill's plan to impose the pharmaceuticals fee structure on natural products.
8: Unless there are changes, natural health products can be dragged into a higher cost, higher risk um, uh, regime for regulation.
5: It will stifle innovation because it will become harder for, uh, for entrepreneurs to start businesses to develop new products. Most
7: natural health producers here in New Zealand are small businesses. For larger enterprises like Peter's, the big plus with the bill is the ability to make claims about the health benefits of his products, giving him a competitive advantage and weeding out the cowboys.
8: The benefits of being able to make therapeutic claims um, means that the consumer is going to know exactly what the product is going to do for it, for, for them. So, uh, it means that any claims that are not validated by scientific evidence won't be allowed to be made.
2: That's my understanding, is that there are cowboys in the sector, and it's not specifically pointing to rungoa Māori, but there are others who are utilising what would be considered a natural health product selling it as snake oil and it's not not achieving what they're selling it as.
7: Minister Henare also has concerns about people getting incorrect information about the bill, as highlighted, he says, in a barrage of emails sent to Parliament and online campaigns.
2: There seems to be a movement uh, that is rallying against um, parts of this particular bill, in particular the, national, uh, the natural health products, uh, and I'm afraid to say that a vast a, a, a vast number of those are due to misinformation.
5: The kohe kohe is really good for um, women's issues with hormonal problems.
7: In a garden in Ōtaki, we meet Kai Rongoa, Māori traditional medicine practitioners. See, while well,
5: we're starting the flower now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Get the seeds, too, eh? Yeah. not oh, right, oh. The bill was so complex. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been no time for us even to get together in wananga on the bill. We want this clause, that rungoa, a clause in that bill that rungoa should
2: not be in there because it is its its own mātauranga, it is its own whare. With respect to rungoa Māori, it's captured in this bill under the Natural Health Products which is a particular piece that looks towards bringing Natural Health Products into the Therapeutics Bill and that's where uh, I guess the rubber meets the road for the rungoa Māori practitioners in this country.
5: Rungoa Māori already has a system that protects it. What we want is the opportunity for us to um, be inside the conversation at the beginning. So this is a really good rungoa for puku. So
7: rungoa Māori is only subject to the bill if a rungoa preparation is commercialised.
2: Auntie or uncle who who provides rungoa Māori down at your local marae or to your fano. Nothing
7: changes. Clearly, the government has a job on its hands communicating the bill. Many of our people are, are referring it and liking it to the um, Tohunga Suppression Act, where we had um, our own um, natural indigenous ways of living and being and breathing and you know, looking after each other um, stopped.
2: And that's part of the misinformation piece. Um, I'm well aware of what the Tohunga Suppression Act is, and I'm also aware that it was a Māori health minister that put it in place. Uh, so look, we want to make sure that um, we can continue to protect rungoa, uh, mātauranga Māori. And you know what, if, if it means that at some point in time as the bill progresses, there are options here. Include it, don't include it.
7: So far, around 10,300 submissions have been received on the bill, a bill that may have a rocky road ahead.
0: That's Fena Owen. Stay with us. Q&A is back after the break. When Rob Campbell was sacked from senior public service roles this week, there was an allegation he made that we wanted to pick up on. Campbell asserted that his sacking wasn't to do with his LinkedIn post, but was actually because the government is calling on Maori equity and co-governance approaches in the health system. Waipareta Trust Chief Executive and President of Te Pāti Māori, John Tamahere, is with us this morning. Kia ora.
3: Kia ora. Was he right? Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, with the um, new Prime Minister and a new clean broom coming in, uh, not only was there a bonfire, there's, um, there is a handbrake. And it looks like it could even be uh, in a reverse gear. Um, Co-governance is something that um, is uh, nothing to be feared the party Māori goes further and says quite clearly we own the water, and uh, there's no evidence to suggest that that claim is mm. wrong. So co-governance could be seen as just another confiscation. Uh, but but just pretend we we're, we're working with co-governance. Um, the question I've always asked of others is, well, what are we? What what does that take from others? Mm. Uh, Governance is not ownership. Mm. Uh, Governance uh, is stewardship, Mm. and custodianship Mm. uh, and and the like. And probably we work a lot better than what we've got now.
0: Okay, specifically in the healthcare system, which is what uh, Rob Campbell was referencing Mm. this week, what evidence is there that the government is backing down from commitments around Māori health equity or co-governance within the healthcare system? Yes, well
3: firstly it's an election year and so uh, firstly you've got to put out your messaging. That's been done politically. Um, what will occur and does occur yeah. uh, with us in terms of any change where Māori are given greater rights to self-manage? Mm. And that should be the way, uh, but it's resisted constantly, particularly in the bureaucracy, and so we've got uh, handbrakes going on. And in the system? Said, yeah, well, you, you're getting into arguments over, for example, mm. um, uh, problem gambling funding. Mm. Problem gambling funding has never gone to Māori, mm. okay? yet we've got major problems there. And we are the ones that can uh, get our value-driven system mm. into those uh, people that are falling foul. And I'm just using problem gambling as one example. They're multiple, from Plunkett across the line. Uh, handbrakes are going on on the transfer of resources mm. uh, to Māori by Māori for Māori. What about the Māori Health Authority? Rob Campbell said the government hasn't resourced Te Aka file order sufficiently. Well... Um, Oh, we, we would always probably back that, but um, on dollar values alone, if you look at what the transfers were voted in the last budget, mm. uh, it is a very, very, a very Spartan type of a budget but you know what we we can do a lot with uh, very little we we vaccinated over 1.2 million kiwis Mm -hmm. in the vaccination campaign on a very very small budget so and we can do things quite efficiently in the communities.
0: Okay I want to go to a comment from Health Minister Aisha who says the government created Te Aka order because of our commitment to Māori participation at the highest level of health decision making so she rejects Rob Campbell's, pre- uh, 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 Rob, Rob Campbell's assertion that the government is backing away from Māori equity method- measures in the health system. I just want to know, is there any evidence from what he said? Is there any evidence at the moment, hard evidence, that the government is backing away from any form of co-governance? Well,
3: this well, this only occurred seven days ago. Mm. Okay, So if you're asking me to get evidence uh, as a trained lawyer relevant to giving you substance That's what I'm in, asking seven, for, JT. In, in seven days, yeah. I, I can't discern that. Yeah. Right. So you'll have to come back to me. Was well, he the right person for that job? Well, look, here's the thing. We, we had, um, you, you have to understand his background, okay, and he was, uh, he, he was a lefty that then sort of had this epiphany and mm. then become uh, writer Genghis Khan. Sounds like you. Um, so, yeah, well, we all have them. <laughs> uh, if you stop learning, there's something wrong with you. But uh, he, he atoned for um, his wrongdoing and going down the wrong track. And in atoning for that, he started to come out uh, quite, quite uh, largely. Mm. His ability, though, to unpick... Mm. government budgets, his ability to uh, cut right to the chase in regard mm. to where blockages are, was a very important part of leadership that's been lost uh, in the mm. transition process. So he's a change manager, mm. and you need uh, you need change uh, leadership and governance. The,
0: these big questions around co-governance are likely to be present for all of this year and probably for years to come, but particularly leading up to October. What do you say to people when it comes to the, the original three waters model that would give Māori a different level of representation to non-Māori on those entities that manage water assets. What do you say to people who say that's not democratic?
3: Well, um, the truth of it is, go to the heart of the matter, which is, what is the ownership model for Mm. the the water? Who owns it? There's only one piece of law in this land today that allows the Crown to allocate it. Not to allocate Mm. ownership, but to allocate use. Uh, do, do you yeah. accept that, that it isn't strictly one person, one vote? Uh, absolutely. But, but, you know, when you're talking property rights mm. and you're talking the rule of law, uh, mm. often uh, that is not the case. You, don't, you, you look at the rule of law. You don't look at overriding the rights of uh, Māori solely mm. because you have a majority. That's the argument that's been put to us. We're the majority. We're going to make the rules. and We're going to override property rights. You can't do that. Has the government made an argument
0: in favour of co-governance?
3: No, they've been very poor. Uh, the, this government's been very poor its communication pro- approaches. I think we're all aware of that. Uh, it, it doesn't. It has some good ideas, mm. but it just doesn't know how to um, market them or sell them.
0: Census this week. The last census was a bit of a disaster. It was revealed afterwards Maori had been undercounted in New Zealand by fifty thousand people going
3: back to twenty thirteen. Will this census be different? Well, we don't know that. That's a guess, 50,000, uh, because it is. Yeah, it's an estimate. Yeah, yeah well, well, it's a guess. So, um, the, I think the it's informed. Th- I don't th- th- think they th- just th- plucked th- that number out well, of the uh, air. Well, it's a percentage mm. taken, and who, who determines the percentage? So I didn't want to go statisticians around...
0: Statisticians and statistics. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to yeah, go yeah, around yeah, the mulberry yeah. bush okay. with you,
3: but it's wrong. So uh, the problem we've got now is the uh, they don't learn from their mistakes. And this is very well-paid bureaucrats and statistics mm. and so on and so forth. Uh, they're going to have to start to engage with our community leadership uh, in all our, our communities up and down the country. and it's those people that have a trusting relationship with our communities that have served them with health welfare, educational justice mm. uh, and not regulated them you know our people our people are there uh, not to be punished they're, they're there there is a um, solution waiting to happen as we say. so, so, problem with um, with the census is uh, it hasn't engaged Māori community, uh, and I don't think you, uh, it will be successful as a consequence. And I have put this to the powers that be, mm. but we just sit on the sideline and have to fix up the pieces after. So what will be the consequence of that,
0: if this census proves to not engage Māori? As well, there's care? a
3: significant undercount. Uh, fur- furthermore, one third of Māori move addresses every election. Mm. So our people, because we're not, not in fixed homes uh, and in rental stocks all over the place, uh, in transition. Mm. Uh, um, trying to identify a highly, a highly mobile population, let alone um, plan for it, mm. uh, makes it very difficult. So, so what will be the net result? And uh, significant undercounts mm. all over the shop. OK.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate Dora. it, John Tamahiri. Kou matu. That is Q&A for this week from the Q&A team. Thanks for watching. And mihi ki a kouti, nga kare re. Hey, te ra, wiki. We will see you next Sunday at 9am. Q&A is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air.